Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. You know, there are a lot of people in the world today that have a wrong perception about God. Not just people in the world, but even people in the church. There are some people that don't expect any good thing from God. They live with an expectation of pain and punishment as if God is mad at them God's out to get them because of the stuff they've done in the past or the struggles that they have in their life currently but the scripture tells us in the book of Jeremiah this is the word of the Lord God says for I know how I feel about you not what somebody else has said, but I know what I think about you. I have thoughts about you. God is consciously aware of you. He's consciously aware of me. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. And the Lord says, my thoughts are not to harm you. My thoughts are not to hurt you and punish you, but my thoughts are good thoughts. I think good about you. I've got thoughts of, of peace, not of evil. In fact, God says, my thoughts are already finished. My thoughts are to bring you to an expected end. My thoughts are to give you, not to take from you, a future and a hope. In Romans chapter 15, we, we are told that he is the God of hope. He is the God of hope. And this morning, the word of God comes to set right are thinking about God. Because the, the Bible introduces us to the devil. He's a, he's a liar. In fact, he's the father of lies. He lied in the beginning. He's been lying ever since. And it's the word of God that will come to break us free from the lies of the enemy. That scripture that I read in Jeremiah 29 and 11 was a scripture that God spoke to his people while they were in captivity. While they were away from their homeland and in bondage and they were in slavery. And it's often when we are away from the will of God and when we are suffering that we somehow, our minds and thoughts begin to shift. and We think that God has forgotten us. But God said, listen, even in your captivity, I'm still thinking about you. I've not changed my mind. 
And while they were in captivity, God was letting them know that you're going to be in this place for 70 years. And even every day of those 70 years, you can do the math, 70 times 365, God says every day, every moment, every second, I'm going to be thinking about you. My thoughts will never change. They are to bring you to that expected end. They are to give you a future and they are to give you a hope. Now, 70 is significant. It's a significant number. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want you to know this morning that he's the God of hope. And hope, hope is an anchor for the soul. If I can take a few minutes to just talk about the gift of hope this morning. Because we, we don't just want to receive natural gifts wrapped up and put in, you know, under presents with ribbons and bows on them. We want to, we want to receive the gift of hope. And we want to be the gift of hope to somebody. Because there are people who have the wrong impression about God. And one of the first pictures that I want to give you about hope is that hope is a rope. Hope is a rope. Literally, the, the Hebrew word for hope, one of the definitions is that it is a rope. Now, I know that hope is a, is a positive expectation of, of, a, of a, uh, a great future. Hope is something that gives you an anticipation of joy and faith that good things are happening. But the biblical picture of hope is that it is a rope. It's a rope, and it's not a noose that God has for you waiting to hang you. No, God offering you a lifeline this morning. He's offering you rescue. He's offering you something. He says, listen, I know you're drowning. I know you're in depression. You're in oppression. You're in despair, but I'm throwing you the rope of hope. That's literally what he did in the book of Joshua as we're introduced to a woman whose name is Rahab. Rahab had a she had an interesting profession. We got kids in here this morning, so I won't tell you what they called her on the street. She could have worked for Santa Claus. You know what Santa say, right? <laughs> Y'all going to get that on the way home. You're going to get that on the, not Jingle Bells. No, it didn't start with J. It started with something else. Two letters. But anyhow, she was a prostitute. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That wasn't in my notes. Just... But she was... Prostitution in the Bible is associated with not only sex, but it's also associated with idolatry. It's associated with the worship of false gods. And, and, and so Rahab, she had these, these chains, these ropes that were holding her down. She was tied into idolatry. She was tied into this, this sexual identity. You know, there are many people today that are in this crisis of sexual identity. Not just young folks, middle-aged folks, older folks are in this crisis of identity when it relates to sexuality. It, and it really goes back to, to, to the, the father of lies, Satan, who's lying about people's identity. And, and one of the things that happens if when, is that even today when people are confronted with the truth, if it's not mixed with love, see, you can tell the truth to somebody, but it's all in how you say it and when you say it. And, and if you confront them with the truth, that they will often become like Rahab because her name means pride and insolence, which means that I have a total disregard of what you say. I act rude. I act arrogant. And so we often see people who are just flaming, just flamboyant in their sexual identity crisis. 
right? Just proud, just, just stuck in it, just will put it in your face. But like Rahab, they're trapped in a crisis, and deep down inside of their heart and their soul, they're looking for a way out. They're looking for hope. They're looking for, for that noose to be turned into a lifeline. And Rahab was one such a person because as Rahab was in the midst of her crisis and in her identity, the Lord was bringing Joshua and the people of Israel through Egypt and through the wilderness. And there they were on the other side of the Jordan River getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And the very first city that they would encounter would be the city of Jericho. And up on the walls, in her bondage, was a woman named Rahab looking for a rope of hope. The word crossover is mentioned at least six or seven times in the first four chapters of the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, the Lord tells Joshua, he says, listen, pass through the camp, run through the camp, tell all the people to get ready. Tell them to consecrate themselves because in three days we're going to cross over into the Jordan River. Three is significant. Not only is 70 a significant number, but three is a significant number in the Bible because it represents resurrection. It represents new beginnings. It represents do-overs, fresh starts. Anybody need a second, third? 56, 86, 199th chance. That's what God offers. He says we're getting ready to cross over in three days. And Joshua sends out these two spies into the city of Jericho. And he says, listen, we're getting ready to cross over. But we want you to swim across the Jordan River. Risk your life because the river is at flood stage. Swim over into the, to, to the side of, of, of the promised land and infiltrate into the city of Jericho and bring back a report on what you find. And when they got into the city of Jericho, somebody must have noticed them because they told the king and the king, and, and the king sent word to Rahab and said, bring out those two men who went into your house today. We're going to deal with them. And Rahab had hidden those two spies up on the roof of her house amongst the wheat because it was harvest time in Jericho. And she said to the king and the soldiers said, the men came, but they left. And I don't know where they went, but if you go out right now and hurry up, you might be able to find them. And so the soldiers left her house, went looking for the men. She, the gates were closed and Rahab, she came back up to the roof of her house. And she talked to the men. And this is what she said, looking for that rope of hope. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Because your fear, your terror has fallen on all of us. And we know what the Lord has done. How he dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. We know what he did to the kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. We saw and heard about God destroying them. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. And neither was there any more courage in any one of us. She said this, this woman who's caught in this sexual crisis of identity, who's caught in this life of idolatry and immorality. She says, for the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, spare my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that I have and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, 
our lives for your lives. That's a promise. If none of you tell our business, we'll do this. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And the Bible says that she then began to let those men down the wall because her house was on the wall of the city of Jericho. She let them down with a rope. Now, mind you, this woman is by herself in her house. And she is so desperate for a new start and a fresh beginning that she is willing to, to put the rope around her hands. I, I can just, in my mind, I picture this woman holding these men all by herself. Listen, when you are desperate, you will find some supernatural strength. This woman is holding the rope as these men are going down in the middle of the night down the wall of her house. And if you've ever held a rope and the, and the weight on the other end is, is, is heavier than you, sometimes you have to double up. <laughs> you ever have to double up, wrap the rope around your hand a couple times? And the pressure of the rope, I can imagine the blood, just the rope burn and the, and the calluses and the blisters on her hand. But she's holding on to hope. And every time that she lets these men down, she's reminding them, now remember you said, you're going to preserve me and my family. And then the men are, are looking up at her like, girl, you better hold that rope. <laughs> yes, we said that. We said that. Hold it tighter. But remember, everybody's got to be in your house. When the Lord delivers us, delivers the city into our hand, this same rope... This scarlet rope that you are letting us down through, it's got to hang from your window. You know, scarlet is the color of red. There's a lot of red out here today. That's, that's the color of the blood. It's a sign of deliverance. It's a sign of, of, of salvation and healing. Rahab was holding on the rope because she sensed that she was about to cross over. Some of you need, to, you need, to, you need that gift of hope today. Not only do you need it, but, but I want to challenge you to be the gift of hope to somebody. Don't just look for gifts at Christmas time. Look to be a gift. Look to be a gift of hope to somebody else. Learn how to be a good rope holder for somebody else. Because there's somebody that, that's in a crisis. There's somebody that's looking to cross over. You might have already crossed over. You might be in the middle of the stream. But there's somebody stuck in a lifestyle. Somebody stuck on the wall. Somebody stuck on the other side saying, do we have any good rope holders out there? Is there anybody that's, that's not going to drop me but going to hold me up? And when I think about that picture, I think about Barnabas in the book of Acts. Because Barnabas was a good rope holder. When, when Saul, who before he came the Apostle Paul, was, was converted and he met Jesus on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, the Bible says that Saul wanted to join the disciples of Jesus Christ, but the disciples were afraid of him because they had heard about all the terror that he had wrecked in the church, about all the Christians whom he had dragged out of their house and, 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 and thrown into prison, all the persecution that he had committed. So they were afraid of him, but it was Barnabas who took Saul to the disciples and said, I see something in this man that he doesn't even see in himself. Barnabas was a good rope holder. 
Because the Bible says that when, Barnab when, when Barnabas brought him to the disciples and Paul stood up and began preaching, that people could not resist the wisdom of God that was coming forth from his mouth. But there were certain religious men who heard about Paul's conversion and they plotted to kill him. And so what they did is that they hid Paul in a basket and they lowered Paul down through the city wall. Somebody had to be holding that rope on the other end because inside of that basket was a man who was going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Inside of that basket was a man who was going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Inside of that basket was a man who would stand up and say, I am what I am, but by the grace of God. Inside of that basket was a man who knew that he didn't deserve the mercy of God because he was the chief of sinners. But somebody had to be on top of that wall, seeing the potential inside of him. And it was a man like Barnabas who was a good rope holder. Maya Angelou said, you know, we might forget what people say of what they say to us, but you never will forget how people made you feel. I can still remember some of the hurtful words that were spoken to me even as a child. Some of my friends, six and stones may break my bones and names will never hurt. Oh, it hurt all right. I didn't let you know it, it hurt, but it, it hurt. Some of them nicknames and some of that, you know, playing the dozens and some, you know, some of that stuff you said and we were, everybody was laughing. I was laughing too, but in my heart I was crying. Never forget how you made me feel. But oh, I remember how some of, the, some of my teachers saw potential in me. I said, Walter, you're going to be a great writer. You're going to be a great communicator. I said, me, little shy me? Oh, no. I said, oh, yes, I see it in you. Now get back, get busy, get back at it. You never forget how people make you feel. People like Barnabas, they got a greater vision for your life than you have for yourself. Come on, they make you straighten your back up, hold your head up, begin to walk tall, and begin to believe that you can be and do what they said you can do. We need some people like Barnabas who will be that gift of hope for somebody else. Barnabas had an impact on Paul's life. He saw the potential that was lying inside of the Apostle Paul. The first time they were introduced to Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible calls him Joseph, who was all, in verse 36, his name was Joseph. He was also named Barnabas by the apostles. They gave him the nickname, Son of Encouragement. They literally called him a gift of hope because everywhere he went, he was encouraging people. He was giving people hope. Mom and daddy called him Joseph, but his character was hope, encouragement. The Bible says he was a Levite. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he lived on an island called Cyprus. And when there was a need in the local church, the Bible says that Barnabas had land, and he took the land, and he sold it, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. That means that whatever the apostles wanted to do with the money, he was trusting them to do it because he was literally not giving it to the apostles. He was giving it to God. 
That's a revelation for some of us, that your gifts, your time, your talent, your treasure, you're not giving it to the church. You're not giving it to a person. You're not giving it to your boss or your employer. You are giving it to God. Now, you might have a horrible boss. You might have come from a church where you've had bad pastoring. I don't know. I don't happen here. I don't know anything about that. But you are not giving it to man. You are giving it to God. One at a time, Barnabas connected with Paul in, in a missionary journey. And, and Barnabas took his, his cousin with him, whose name was John Mark. And they, on their first missionary journey with Paul, were doing great works. They were sent out by the church in Acts chapter 13. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate Paul and Barnabas. I've called them to do a great work. And they took John Mark with them on the journey. They came back and they brought a great report back. And the church was in Antioch was overjoyed over the ministry to the, to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. There came a time for them to go back out. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him again. But Paul said, no, he can't come. Remember when we were out on the first trip, he got homesick. And he said, I'm going back home. I miss mama's biscuits. I miss that bacon. I miss that syrup. I'm going back home. And Paul didn't like that. And the division between Paul and Barnabas was, was so sharp over John Mark that Barnabas went out with John Mark and Paul went out with Silas that, that separated the two of them. Now Paul didn't understand, but I think later on he realized what Barnabas was doing. Barnabas was simply showing John Mark the same hope that he had shown to Paul. He had saw potential in Paul. And he held the rope for him. And even though John Mark had, had failed and had turned and, and reneged and went back home, Barnabas was not going to let him go. So if you're going to be a good rope holder, there's several things that you have to do. Let me take you a little bit deeper. I'm almost done. If you're going to make your mind up to be, to be that gift of hope to somebody, there's several things you have to do. The first thing that you have to do is you've got to be healed emotionally. And you have to be spiritually mature. That, that's what I see when I look at Barnabas. This man is, he is emotionally healed. He's not, he's not easily offended. Don't look at nobody. Just keep looking at me because I know you're thinking about somebody. They're so sensitive and they, you know, you, you, you say hello and they like, well, why she say hello like that? Well, at least she said hello. Emotionally healed. And spiritually mature. That's, that's what I see in Barnabas. Now let me tell you why I say that. We, 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 I just said that the first time we're introduced to Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4. But I have a thought. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended to heaven, and the disciples were standing there looking up, and the angel said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up into the air? The same Jesus that you saw go, he shall come in the same way. In Acts chapter 1. And while they, were, they finished looking up, Peter said, hey, let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's go back to the Mount of Olives. Let's go back to that same upper room. And when they were there, there were now 11 of the disciples there along with 109 or so other folks. So 120 people in this upper room. And the Bible says in verse 14, they all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. 
And in those days, in Acts 1, Acts 2, I'm sorry, Acts 1, verse 15, Peter stood up in the midst and he said, Brothers, you know, the scripture has to be fulfilled. It had to be fulfilled that Judas would be the one who would betray Jesus Christ. The psalmist spoke about him and said that he's going he's gonna to take that silver and he's going to purchase a field and he's going to hang himself and it's called a field of blood. But the scripture also says, let another one take his place. And so these 11 disciples are missing one. 12 minus one is how many? Now this side is smart. This side was, they were still, they were still counting, Pastor Mary. You on the wrong side. You need to come over on this. I'm going to give you another side. 12 minus 1 is? Oh, they got it. They slow, but they were waiting for it. It's 11. So it's 11 of the disciples. And Peter says, we need 12. Somebody has to take his place. And so they brought two men forth. And they said, the one who takes the place of Judas, there are several requirements. Number one, he has to have been part of the baptism of John, just like we were in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He had to be one who was with us during the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he had to be one who saw Jesus ascend back to heaven. It's all in Acts chapter 1. So th that, that filters and that narrows down a whole lot of wannabes. And a lot of folks say, pick me, pick me, pick me, because you can't meet all these requirements. But listen, the scripture says that they prayed, Lord, show us who the hearts, you, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two that you have chosen to take part in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas has trans, by transgression has fell, that he might go into his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11, 11 apostles. So Matthias got the job. But you know what verse 23 says, it says they proposed two men, not only Matthias, but they proposed one called, whose name was Joseph, called Barsabbas. And it doesn't say they called him Barnabas. Maybe, 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 maybe this was Barnabas, Joseph, name his mom and daddy gave him. He didn't get the name Barnabas until later on when they start calling him a son of encouragement, a gift of hope. Maybe this was Barnabas who almost got the job of being one of the apostles. And the reason that I, I, I point that out, what if it was? What if it was you who was not chosen? Are you emotionally healthy enough to still be a blessing to somebody else when you didn't get the job? when you didn't get called, when you didn't get the microphone, when they didn't, when they didn't, point, they didn't put your name in the bulletin? Are you spiritually mature enough that you're not going to take your ball and go home, that you're going to hold back part of your tithe, that you can't wait to get home so you can talk about the preacher while you're eating your KFC? But Barnabas, if this was him, although he was not chosen, he stayed engaged. 
He said he wasn't like Ananias and Sapphira that also had some property and they sold it and they gave part of the money to the church and told Peter, we've given everything. And the Holy Ghost said he's lying and it cost him their lives. Barnabas gave everything that he had. He stayed engaged. He stayed involved. He was still seeking the best in other people. He was still serving them even beyond their expectations or even beyond what they deserved. I'm talking about unselfish leadership. So if you're going to be a gift of hope, you've got to be emotionally healed. You've got to be spiritually mature. You've got to put your big boy pants and your big girl pants on. And you've got to be healed. My wife's sitting in the front row and she give me that look like, don't, don't pants. You've got to be healed. You've got to be mature. Come on now, I'm talking about, if you're going to cross over, you can't cross over with immaturity. You can't cross over with, with, with childlessness in your spirit. You're going to hold somebody else back. You're going to call the, cause the church to miss the promised land. Because you didn't get your way. Secondly, if you're going to cross over and be a gift of hope, you've you got to just start pulling people up I'm tired Bishop keep pulling my hands are bleeding keep pulling you don't know who's in that basket you don't know what they're going to become keep pulling keep pushing keep encouraging you can't give up on them but they disappointed me they betrayed me keep pulling don't give up on him. Barnabas didn't give up on John Mark even when Paul did. Later in Paul's life, Paul realized that he had given up on John Mark too quick. But when Paul came to the end of his journey, now Paul is emotionally healed and spiritually mature. And Paul said, I've come to the end of my race. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I fought a good fight. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But before I go, bring John Mark because he's profitable for me to the ministry got to keep pulling. I praise God for all of you, you educators, all of you who are working with youth and not only in the church, but in the community, in schools, because you're pulling. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes, sometimes some kids make you double up your hand, Sister Radonna. They make you double your hands up on that rope because some, some of them are easy. You can just tell them they'll go, but some of them you got to pull. Some of them you got to push, Dr. Marcus. You can't give up on them. Someone will make you, 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 your hands hurt, your hands bleed, and you say, you know what, I ain't going in tomorrow. I need a mental, I need a mental health day tomorrow. I'm okay. If I don't, I'm going to kill one of them. <laughs> Sister Rhonda, you know what I'm talking about. You got, you got to keep pulling. You got to keep pushing. Because we don't know who's in that basket. It's the last point. Don't miss this season of crossing over. You will miss the season if you don't discern the season. Now, it's, it's a little bit sunny today and there's no snow on the ground, but listen, don't fool yourself. You still need a hat. You still need a scarf. You still need your winter coat. Come on, you walk out there with your summer jacket on and, you know, you will die. Why? Because you did not discern the season. 
Don't miss this season. The Lord gave me a word several weeks ago, and it's a word for this season. The Lord said this is a season of the 70s, the season of the 70s. Now, I posted this on Facebook a couple of times, and, and I had to let people know that, listen, don't get too excited. When I say the season of the 70s, I'm not talking about bell bottoms and stack heels and afros Y'all, and, 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 and gym socks that came all the way up to your knees. Because I know some of y'all holding on to that, thinking that it's going to come back. Do you know it ain't coming back? It ain't coming back. Just let it go. I'm not talking about the year of the 1970s. I'm talking about the number 70. It's a season of the 70s. What I mean by that is that in the Old Testament, and then I'm going to bring it up to the New Testament, there was a, there was a, a number of elders that God told Moses when they were in the wilderness that I want you to come up to the mountain, Moses. I want you to bring the priest, Aaron and his two sons. But I want you to bring 70 elders up to the mountain, Exodus 24. And while they were up on the mountain, God says, I'm going to establish the covenant with you and with the people of God. And they literally had a, a meal with God. Moses, the priest, and these 70 elders, they had a meal with God. So these 70 elders were in the presence of God. They didn't have to do anything. It was already done for them. Can you imagine God making a meal for you? Wouldn't you like God to make your Christmas dinner? You know that's going to be hooked up. These 70 elders are having a meal with God on top of Mount Sinai, the place where the law was given. Moses then went up a little higher, came down with the law. The next time we hear about these 70 elders is in Numbers chapter 11. And the people, after they have seen God part the Red Sea, get, uh, destroy Pharaoh and his army. Y'all heard about that last week, right? Because you get ready to cross over. Even though they saw the blessing of God, they began murmuring and complaining against Moses. Saying, we need to go back to Egypt. We had melons and we had onions and we had garlic to eat. And we don't have anything but manna to eat here in the wilderness. And the Bible says that their complaining wore Moses down to the place where he was displeased and discouraged. And when your leaders are displeased and discouraged, God is unhappy too. The Bible says that God got angry. And Moses said, Lord... You told me to bring these people out of Egypt. I was fine over in the wilderness taking care of my father-in-law's sheep. You called me in the burning bush and sent me to Pharaoh. These are your people. You are the mother of these people. I can't bear these people. If you're going to treat me like this, just go ahead and kill me right now. You never want to get your leaders to the place where they just want to die or they want to kill you. It's not, it's not healthy for either of y'all. Trust me, all right? But that's where Moses was. He said, Lord... If you, don't, if, I, if you don't kill me, I'm going to kill one of them. <laughs> no, that's my translation. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, just go ahead and kill me. Take me out. And the Bible says that God answers Moses' prayer. You know how he answered it? He said, Moses, I want you to choose 70 elders, 70 rulers, men of good reputation. I want you to bring them into the tent of meeting because I'm going to take some of the spirit that's on you and I'm going to place it on those 70 elders. It's the season of the 70s. And the spirit of God that was resting on Moses now was multiplied to these 70 elders. And the Bible says 
that they be, this is Numbers chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, that they all began to prophesy. But they only did it once. Because in the old covenant, the spirit rested and then the spirit lifted. It rested, then it lifted. We're in a better covenant today. Because Samson, the spirit rested on him. And when the Philistines came in, he said, I will shake myself at all times like I did at other times. But he didn't know that the spirit had lifted. You ain't got to worry about the spirit lifting off of you now because he's in you in the new covenant. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. But when the spirit rested upon these elders, they prophesied. But there were two of them who continued to prophesy. And Joshua heard about it. And he ran and told Moses, he said, these two young men, Eldad and Medad, these two of these 70 elders, they're still in the tent prophesying. Tell them to stop Moses. And Moses says, don't be jealous for me. I wish that all the people of God would prophesy. I wish that the spirit of God would be on the people of God in a, in an, uh, uh, a crazy measure that you can't even stop. And, and, and the Lord gave me this revelation. It says, listen, when the spirit rested on the 70 elders in the old covenant, they prophesied. What happened in Acts chapter 2? Once this church was emotionally healed and spiritually mature, once this church understood that they were called to be a gift of hope, that they aligned themselves. Because Peter said, listen, I anticipate that we're about to cross over into something great. But before the crossover can occur, we've got to align ourselves with the will of God. In the old covenant, it rested on 70. But in the new covenant, listen, if we get these 12 in order and these 120 in the upper room, the spirit of God is going to descend upon us and we're going to speak with new tongues. We're going to prophesy in such a way that people are going to hear the glorious works of God. And we're in that season of the 70s today. That's the revelation that God gave me. Numbers are important. The number 11 is a number of disorder and chaos. It's a number of disorder and chaos. The number 12 represents government and authority, power to pursue, power to possess. There are 12 men in the jury. There were 12 men that Joshua said, you two, you 12 men, gather stones on the other side of the Jordan and set them up as a, as a memorial. It was 12 men that Joshua said, you all carry the ark into the river of Jordan. And when their feet touched the water, Jordan, the water parted for them. If we're going to cross over, we got to line ourselves up. What does that mean? We got to align ourselves. First of all, when it comes to our hearts, our hearts have to be in alignment with the will of God. For some of you, you've got to reconnect your relationships with people. See, a lot of us, we, we, we think we got it going on with God. I love you, Lord, with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, period. <laughs> but God said, no, there's more. You've got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. How can you say you love God whom you don't see and you don't love your brother whom you do see? So if we're going to experience the crossover, if we're going to be a gift of hope, we have to reconnect our relationships with people. So this Christmas, why not find somebody? In fact, you don't have to find them. You already know who they are. 
that that relationship is strained. That family member that you, that you don't talk to anymore. That person that you've got that grudge against because of something they said or something that they should have said but they didn't or something that they did to you. Why not reconnect your relationships? The Bible says that the church in Acts chapter 1, they were in one accord in that upper room. And in Acts chapter 2, because their relationships are right on one accord, the Holy Spirit fell, Mother Luce. Because they, they realigned their hearts relationally. Why not this Christmas? Just get your heart right with God and your heart right with other people. Secondly, you got to reconcile your painful past. This stuff that happened to all of us. But listen, you can either get bitter or you can get better. Reconcile your painful past. Yes, that happened to me, but you know what? All things work together for my good. Some of the stuff I contributed to, some of the stuff I chose and it, I made it happen, but some of the stuff I was innocent. I was a victim. But reconcile it. Nothing is wasted in God. Use that pain as a platform for your, your ministry to tell people what great things God has done for you. That's your testimony. And lastly, realign your actions to line up with God's vision for your life. That's what God is doing in this season for the church. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.